Good morning, good morning. If we can start making our way to our seats. It's great to see everyone this morning. We all survived the first week in triple digits. The heat has come. Summer is here. It's great to see everybody. I'd like to welcome everyone watching us online as well. So glad you're able to be with us today. And no, I am not leading worship or singing. Just want to let you all know. We're not going all Church of Christ and going a cappella today. We get to celebrate Believer's Baptism, so we're going to do that first. We're very excited to be able to uh, celebrate with Chris and uh, Jacob, Conrad, uh, in a few minutes. But just a few announcements before we do so. Uh, first off, the uh, ladies, the Esther's Summer Bible Study is still happening. Start, uh, tomorrow night is the third week. You're still able to join. It's not too late. Tomorrow night at 6.15. Um, it's in the youth room over there, led by Alicia Zhang. It's been a really good, fruitful time. Um, all the announcements, all the details are on the website at gatewaybaptist.com if you need any of the information. Guys, this Wednesday night, we get to have a time of fellowship, going to the Biscuits game. Hopefully, you guys will all participate. And uh, we, we're not meeting as a youth group because we want the sons to be able to go with their dads. So hopefully, dads, you'll bring your, your boys with you to be able to enjoy that time together. A fellowship with the guys. The deadline to register is today, so you have until tonight to register uh, to get tickets for that game. Um, also, very important time next week, we will have our next Discover Gateway class and lunch at uh, Grady and Julia's house. Um, it's good to know who we are as, as our DNA. If you've been visiting Gateway, want to get to know a little bit more about us. Um, it's a wonderful time of fellowship over a meal, and then Grady shares a lot about who we are if you have any questions regarding that. That's next Sunday, directly, uh, immediately after church. Next Sunday, we're also very excited. We're starting off on our new series in First Peter. Hopefully, you guys are excited about that. Uh, we have uh, the church is providing a guide, um, a scripture journal for everyone. They're available here in the back. Out here in the hall as you're leaving uh, near the restrooms, and there are some over in the gym. We invite all of you to please take one. It's got the scripture on one side and then a, a blank page on the other side to take notes. So we want to encourage you to please take one for the series we're about to begin next week. And we encourage you to go ahead and start reading First uh, Peter. If you want to get the first chapter um, under your belt, just to be able to get an awareness of where we're heading. And Grady has done a very... <laughs> detailed, wonderful job of mapping out First Peter. So get comfortable. We're going to be enjoying this letter for a while in a wonderful way. And uh, so just to make you aware, don't take a lot of notes on one page. I would have multiple pages because we may be only doing one verse on a Sunday. So we don't want you filling up a whole page and there's like eight verses on there and you're like, I have no more room. So just take it easy with that. We're very excited, so excited about starting First Peter, getting in that wonderful letter. Um, we had a great week of Vacation Bible School. Kids, y'all have fun? <laughs> Woo! I do want to acknowledge very briefly, if you had anything to do with VBS as an adult volunteer, please stand. Please, please, quickly. These people worked tirelessly. They were so faithful. Woo! We see their wonderful shirts and all, but... The teenagers were part, the adults, everybody had a great job. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. And let's give a big applause for our director, our leader, Miss Molly. Yes, not yet, just, just acknowledging. She'll be up in a minute. She'll be up in a minute. We get to have a wonderful time in a few minutes, get to watch our kids sing two of the songs, do the motions. They're going to be a part of the end of our worship time uh, before uh, Jeff and them come up. So we're very excited about that. Two little things that are personal. First off. We would like to celebrate and acknowledge 
our very own Aaron Gross. Where are you, Aaron? It's her birthday today. Happy birthday, Aaron. She's our faithful administrator, keeps the, you know, holds the fort down for Grady and I in the office, does a faithful job, and we're so happy for her today. Very last thing, Mike Edmondson, where are you, my brother? Mike? Hello, there he is. This is his last Sunday. We're going to miss you, brother, and your kids. He's headed to Kansas City. The Lord has his next assignment, and so we have just loved you and the kids being here. We appreciate all that you've done investing in us and vice versa, but we love you. And at the end of the service, we'd love for you to come down, and we're going to lay hands on you pray for you, kind of launch you out to the next mission God has for you and your family. So great to have you, brother. All right, we're going to about to have a believer's baptism, but let me read the scripture over us before we do so to kind of set the tone of what we get to celebrate today and acknowledge. This is from Titus chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, that's what we celebrate today, the beauty of your grace. We get to celebrate your mercy. We get to celebrate regeneration. We get to celebrate renewal by your Holy Spirit. We get to celebrate how you have justified us and saved us. So we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to see these men come forward and profess their faith and get to see the beauty of the gospel on display. So we thank you for the opportunity to to experience that today. We want to acknowledge your glory and your power and your presence as we worship you, as we glorify you, as we make much of you today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Grady. Well, thanks, CJ. Yes, we get to kick off the service this morning with Believer's Baptism, and I am thrilled that we get to begin today with this. We're going to have two baptisms this morning. We have Jacob Conrad here in the tank right now. I think a lot of you just know him as Conrad. And then we're going to have Chris Joyner following him. And this is Jeff Hand, who leads Fisher's Farm Ministry, who is there in the tank with them. So let me just um, give us a reminder of why we do baptism, and then we'll let Conrad share his testimony. But let me just remind you that we do baptism following the Lord's commands. Matthew 28, when Jesus, some of his final words to us, he came and said to them, all authority and heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the way a believer in Christ confesses their faith in Christ before others. We don't confess our faith in Christ by walking down an aisle and shaking a pastor's hand or signing a card. This is the New Testament way of confessing faith in Christ is is baptism. Now, you've heard me say before, there's nothing magical or special about these waters. This is Montgomery tap water like you and I have at home also. But the reason we do this is because it's a symbol. It's saying, I believe that Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and I'm identifying with that. I'm confessing my belief in that. But it's also saying, just as Christ died, I'm identifying Christ with with him in his death, and I've died to my old nature. He's killed my old nature. And just as Christ was raised to newness of life, I have been raised to newness of life as well. And because I have the Holy Spirit within me now, I have new life. I'm no longer a slave to sin. All those glorious things that we talked about this last year in our study of what we believe and why. This is what this is confessing. But this is also us as a church recognizing we see God's grace on these people's lives. And we're affirming them in that. And we're celebrating that. So this is an act of worship. Not only their confession of faith, but us celebrating God's grace at work 
in their life. And so for you who know Christ, I hope this will be a time for you to rejoice and thank God for your salvation as well, to rejoice in what God has done in these brothers' life, but also to remember Christ's love for you as well and to remember how he has saved you as well as we celebrate this beautiful picture. So we're going to start off by letting Conrad share his own story with you of how Christ saved him. Mother, myself, and my older siblings, and uh, we had to move place to place. We couldn't afford rent, and um, so eventually, when I was six years old, my mom we moved down to a place called Highland Home. It's a tiny place. Probably none of y'all know where it is. It's okay. You ain't the first, not the last. But you blink and you miss it. It's small as crap. So um, we moved down there, and I spent 13 years of my life there. And so at the age of around maybe 15, 14 to 15, I experimented with cigarettes, drugs, um, alcohol, everything, uh, and just a couple days span. And in high school, um, I, I, I was still going down that path. And when I was 16 years old, my mother, she had type two diabetes. And so we thought her diabetes was coming up again. and the doctor misdiagnosed her. We went to Jackson Hospital and the doctors found four golf ball sized tumors in her pan in her, in, uh, on her pancreas. She had type four pancreatic cancer. Um, and at the age of 17, watching your mother die, you can't do nothing about it. You can't give her a pill, can't feed her right. She's just dying before you. And she died in my arms at 17 years old. And that really took a turn for the worst. I went downhill, just depression, just more drugs and alcohol, and um, eventually just uh, um, sex eventually went down there too. And I came to a point in my life where none of this was working. None of it was working, and I had, I had to find something. So I moved out, I moved out my stepdad's house he was just, I was playing a victim. I thought that I was right and he was wrong, but in reality, looking back years later, that I was being, I was in the wrong. I was very rebellious against him. And so, November of um, 2020, I gave my life to Christ finally. And I said, I can't do it no more, Lord. You got to do something in me. And he did. And so, eventually, I found Fisher's Farm, I found Jeff. Uh, I said I got the application in and I, I got in there I, I got in the farm and I was doing really well I graduated that year and three months later I went down the hole uh, we talked about spiral degradation that was me and looking back at my year at Fisher's Farm in 2021 I had no fruit I had nothing you know I I said the right things, I did my homework, but when I graduated the program, I went downhill and I didn't practice these things. I didn't practice killing sin like I should have. And I got in a relationship I shouldn't have been in. Um, luckily, nothing physically happened, but I was in a relationship I shouldn't have been in, and Jeff found out, and he, and he put me back at Fisher's Farm, and the Lord humbled me. He put my face, he put my face in the dirt and let me realize who I am and who he is. And I am here professing now this forward forward now where your brothers and sisters here will look at me and hold me accountable that I want to be a follower of Christ now. And I want to show show that to all y'all and to and, and, and to my Lord and Savior. So that's it in a nutshell. Amen.
powerful, Conrad. We're thankful that God's grace has been pursuing you and chasing you and that you have repented and believed. We are rejoicing in that. Like usual, we want to give a few of you an opportunity to say a word of encouragement. I see Lydia over here with the first one in the hand up. Hi, bud. Uh, so you were actually the first uh, Fisher Farms uh, guy that my family got to meet and really um, kind of walk alongside of and hear your story and see your journey. And just as much as I think maybe you've talked to, told us that we've spoken into your life, you've spoken into our lives as a whole family. You've shown the love of Christ, and I've seen God at work in you so much. My children even say, Mama, he's so kind. Mama, he's so polite. Mama, he's so humble. And my children recognize these fruits in you. I see the fruit now, and it's beautiful. I didn't get to see your past, but I get to see your future, and I get to see your present with you. And it has been a gift unto me and unto my family. You've taught me much, and I thank you for our friendship, and I'm so excited to see where God takes you, and I'm so happy that you're listening to his will for your life. Amen. That's a good, good word. Who else wants to share? Jacob, I've seen you in uh, Sunday school class, and I just want to affirm your walk with the Lord today. But he gave me this word, and I think it's meant for you. I don't know a lot about the names of God, but Elroy is the God who sees and I just want you to know that he sees you, and he's always seen you, and he will always be seeing you and walking with you on your journey. And so I just bless you. Amen. Who else? Let's back over here. I want to say a word to you, Conrad. It's been great having you in our men's Bible study on Wednesday nights. And just like Lydia said, your love for the Lord is obvious. Your humility is obvious. Your realness is obvious. You know, you don't put on the pretense when we say, how are you? You don't say, oh, I'm good when you're not. Like you speak what you, where you are, and it's so refreshing. And so we're thankful for God's grace pursuing you and chasing after you, and that he's humbled you and brought you to a place of repentance. And so we're, we're just thrilled at what the Lord has been doing in your life and rejoice with you. So Jeff, I'll let you have the final word of challenge to Conrad here. Yeah, Conrad, I'm just um, I'm thankful to know you. Um, the first day I remember you sitting in our office and just talking to you and thinking, man, he's so young. And if he can just grab a hold of Christ at this age, he won't make the mistakes that some of us make. Um, and just as I've gotten to know you, just how serious you take sin in your life and uh, how serious your walk with Christ is and how transparent you are. You. You know, you, I know that if I come to you and ask you something, you're going to be transparent. You're going to tell me the truth, no matter how ugly or dark or, you know, it is. You're, you're going you're gonna to be honest, and I appreciate that because that's not common, unfortunately. So, yeah, it's a pleasure to baptize you. I love you and, um, and, and, and am excited what God is going to do in your life. So, Conrad. Do you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, sir, I do. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, we rejoice with you, Conrad. And coming in the tank next is Chris Joyner. 
Chris, likewise, we're thrilled what the Lord has done in your life. So I'd love for you to take a few minutes and share with the congregation your story of God's grace. All right. So, church, I'm a little nervous. This is the uh, third time I've shared my testimony. And the past two times, my face leaked really bad. So um, if that happens again today, I apologize in advance. Um, kind of cheating a little bit. I have some cliff notes here. So when Jeff told me that I would be sharing my testimony... Um, he, I was like, sure, I'd be happy to do it. And then he was like, can you keep it under five minutes? And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to keep a life of 20 plus years, life of sin under, uh, five minutes. So, but this is going to help. So 44 years ago today, I was born and, um, <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> So growing up, I had a, re a pretty regular childhood. I grew up in a home with two loving parents. Um, I grew up in church. I grew up in a small town down on the Gulf Coast called Fairhope, Alabama. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but that's where I was born and raised. And um, so to fast forward a little bit, when I was 15 years old, I had a pretty traumatic um, injury happen. I had a bottle rocket going inch deep in my right eye and pop and so you can imagine that was a pretty painful experience and that was the first time I was introduced to opiate painkillers and um, and so I was pretty active playing sports and after the uh, the accident that put a damper on my dreams and hopes of uh, becoming a professional horse jockey and um, so, so totally kidding. I was a basketball player. Um, but anyway, so my senior year of high school, my mother was diagnosed with dementia. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with dementia, but it's a pretty horrible disease, and I would not wish it upon anyone. Um, but... So I found that if I smoked a little marijuana or if I popped a pill that it would take my ambition, it would just take all the pain away and I didn't have to accept reality that my mother was dying. And um, so after high school, I went up, I moved to Montgomery and attended AUM and that's where I met my, my wife. And um, so she and I, we got married in uh, 2002. And after college, I pursued a real estate career, and um, I had some professional success in real estate. And all along, I was hiding my addiction and my sin to drugs from family and friends and coworkers, and I guess you could say a functioning addict, although I was not functioning <laughs> very well at all. Um, so, in 2006, it was a, a very bittersweet year for me. Um, that was... That was a year my mom died. And um, it was also the year my son was born. And um, so... And it was also the time when the real estate economy and market just started tanking. And um, so I turned to the only thing that I knew to cope, and that was drugs. And 
Um, you know, I had a little knowledge of the Lord, um, a little head knowledge, but there was a huge disconnect between my head and my heart. And um, so to fast forward a little bit, um, in, in my marriage, my wife started to suspect that something wasn't right, you know, that uh, I just wasn't acting right. And she gave me some ultimatums. She was like, Chris, you either give up the dope or I'm gone. And so I would sober up for a little bit and I had limited, limited sobriety. And um, finally in 2011, she had had enough because I, obviously I chose the dope over, over my wife. And so she divorced me in 2011. And um, I had zero coping skills at all. And so, I, again, I turned to the only thing that I knew. And that's when my addiction started really spiraling out of control. Um, and so, let's see. Um, so I got divorced in 2011. And so, let's see, 2019... Um, I was introduced to heroin and <laughs> never, um, yeah, so never in a million years would I have thought that I would have put a needle in my body to get, to get that fix that I was looking for, but I did. And as Conrad was talking about that spiral of degradation, that's where my sin was taking me. And um, so, in a year ago today, um, I, was lay, I was down in Baldwin County, and I had just put a shot of heroin into my arm, and my girlfriend walked in with a birthday card from my dad, and um, it, uh, it said, Chris, you need to repent and turn back to the Lord. And... Uh, I don't know what happened, but immediately I sobered up and I looked at her and I said, something's got to change. I can't keep doing this. I'm not going to be here much longer if, if, if we don't stop. And she agreed. So, um, and that's, I came to Fisher's Farm on July 4th of last year, completely broken or so I thought. And three months into the program, um, I was still not ready to let go of self and I was just still very prideful and and arrogant and I was hiding an iPad and that is strictly forbidden at the farm. We're not allowed any type of device at all and uh, so you know when in darkness the the light will be exposed and uh, so it was and and I got kicked out of the farm and so at that Point, I was at the lowest of my lows and um, within hours of leaving the farm I had a needle in my arm and I was gone for a week and in that week I overdosed on fentanyl twice within 24 hours and folks I shouldn't be here right now and uh, but uh you know I think the Lord's got other plans so um so Jeff this guy, um, him, he and, and Jen were gracious enough to let me come back 
Uh, but there were some pretty strict rules in place. I had the first three months, they were for naught. I had to start completely over, and I had to humble myself and com- completely submit to authority, which I always had a, a problem with. And I had to submit to Jeremy Kearns. He's out there somewhere. Um, you know, a, a 21-year-old young man, here I am, 43, 44, and having to submit to this guy and it was very humbling but it was exactly what I needed and uh so and Jeff I mean this guy here um it brings me to Proverbs 20 27 17 says iron sharpens iron another man sharpens another and I thought I was going to be the cause of his early retirement several times and um you know, but he stood by my side, and he and I have literally had some coming to Jesus meetings. And uh, this guy is the real deal. And he has, like, he's pointed me in the right direction, and he's, at 44 years old, taught me what it's like to be a man. And I will forever be indebted to him and to Jen. And I just, I am truly ready to submit to the Lord and not just be a, a hearer of the word, but a doer. So, yeah. And Chris, we see that in you. We see that longing for the word of God and that longing not just to read, but to obey. I just want to encourage you in that. Who wants to share a word of encouragement with Chris this morning? I just want to say that you have come so far, and it's been an honor to watch God work in your heart and in your life, and and I'm super blessed to have you in my life, and I can't wait to see what God has in store for you and for us. Amen to that, yes. Rita? Wow, Chris, uh, I'm still wiping tears in my eyes, too, as I, as I heard your testimony, man. I, I, I'm just so thankful that you guys are part of our family and your humility and your openness. Just like Conrad, just like, uh, I believe it was Chris and Chad who got baptized a couple weeks ago, last month. Yeah, so I'm thankful for, for the Lord. I'm thankful for the fishes, fishes Farm. Um, man, it's just, it's just a privilege for us as a church to have you guys here with us. And uh, I just want to let you know. I mean, I, I can't say much. I'm just going to tell you something. Uh, you're a great guy to be around. It's not the same when I don't see you here on Sunday or if it's like more than a week without uh, seeing you and the guys. So... Just thank you, man. Love you. Thank you, Bruno. Amen. I agree with that, Bruno. Hey, what's up, Chris? <laughs> All right, man. I just want to say something to you, brother. Ever since I got back to the program the second time, you have been by my side, man. You encouraged me a lot uh, through spiritual-wise, physically, um, just... I don't know how to describe it, man. You're like a big brother to me. You're like a father to me. All, all you older guys are, you know, and I, I truly look up to you, man. You are amazing, and I love you, brother. I really do. I'm proud for what you're doing right here, man. I love you, brother. I love you, Conrad. Thank you, Thanks, brother. Thanks, Conrad. 
One more over here. My name's Andrew Lindsay, and uh, Chris was three years old when his mother and I married. So I guess I'm probably the only father he's really known. But I did give him that card last year. And thank God he's here today, because I don't think he would have made it otherwise. He was that, he was that close. But I just want to remind you, Chris, your mother's in heaven. She loved the Lord with all her heart. And I believe that uh, God gives believers from heaven a portal. And I believe she's smiling down today. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. And we're so thankful you gave him that card and how the Lord and his sovereignty used that. We rejoice in that. And Chris, I just want to echo what's already been said. We see your love for the Lord. We see you living out repentance and humility. And we're just, we're blessed by that. You're, you're shaping us and influencing us too. And we're thankful for you walking out the gospel and encouraging us in it as well. So Jeff, Thank we'll turn you, it back Greg. over to you. Chris, I just want to encourage you with, uh, I just, I'm, I'm encouraged by your walk with the Lord and how, you know, we've had a lot of hard conversations and, you know, you always uh, just humbly submit, um, even, even when it's difficult, even when you know, a lot of people probably would have walked away. You, you continue to press on, and I think it's because you really want to change, and um, change is hard sometimes, and yet sparks, iron sharpens iron, and spark to do fly, so um, yeah, I'm just encouraged by you. I'm encouraged, even in the last couple of weeks, just your desire and hunger to follow the Lord and kill your sin, and um, just put it to death, so um, it's a privilege to baptize you as well. Thank you, Brian. Zama's my height on his knees. Chris, do you trust for Christ, trust Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? I do. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was wondering how that was going to work. Well done there, guys. Well done. Well, as the praise team comes, I want to lead us in prayer as we continue to worship the Lord. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you've pursued each one of us, Lord. We all have stories that are all different, but Lord, in all of them, we would never have turned to you if you hadn't come after us. So thank you for these reminders this morning. Lord, I pray that as we think about what's happened in Conrad's life and Chris's life and what's happened in our own lives, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with awe and thankfulness and wonder that you pursued us in your grace. And Lord, we want to sing that to you. We want to worship you and praise you, Lord, recognizing that you alone are worthy of all praise and honor and adoration. You are the faithful God, and we celebrate you and worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing as we sing to the Lord together. Let's lift this up together this morning. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. See praise. 
hands and say, He washed in white as snow. And He washed in white as snow. He washed in white as snow. gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to Him. Oh, how strange and divine I can see, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me.
that is our hope of anything we need or have is in what you do for us. Not our feeble efforts pursuing you or holding on to you, but you pursuing us and holding on to us. So we give you praise and glory for all that you have done in our lives and all that you will do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Molly, you may be seated. Molly, come on up. We had a great week at Vacation Bible School, and so we're about to invite the boys and girls to come up and sing for us, but we'll turn it over to Molly first. Do I let the praise team, should they go or go? Whatever you want to do, people. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead while I talk, and we'll let the kids come up, and Lydia and Izzy, you can help bring them on up. Is that okay with everybody? Okay. So, guys, we had 61 kids pretty much every day this week. We had the best time. And to me, this morning, oh, my goodness, I'm so moved. My heart's about to burst with everything that's happened already And I just want you to see these young men and women that every day have learned about Christ. And every day as they've gone through various rotations, everything has been reinforced, reinforced through the day. And our primary motto this week was that we were created by God, by Christ, created by Christ. And we were designed for his purpose. And we are empowered by his Holy Spirit. So we have been learning that God created us, and maybe somebody here needs to hear this today, God created you just as you are, and he designed a purpose for you. His purpose is to glorify him, but in what ways we'll get to find out as these children grow, in what ways they'll use their gifts and talents in order to glorify him. And our Holy Spirit does empower us to do that. So it's been a wonderful week of learning that. Mr. Ben is going to tell me this week's Bible verse. Are you ready, Ben? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Ephesians 2.10. Excellent. So you Good job, Ben. So there'll be a couple of songs we're going to sing now for you. And the first one's going to have this Bible verse in it. So y'all enjoy, listen, and, and you'll know what these 
these precious creations of God are going to sing for you right quick.
Okay, boys and girls, we're going to make your way back to your seats there. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. We're excited about what you've learned this week. And parents, we would encourage you to keep having conversations with your kids as we follow up with what they learned this week. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, we are so thankful for the week that the kids have had to learn about you and to be reminded of these beautiful gospel truths, these very truths we celebrated in baptism this morning, these truths that we have sung about this morning. Lord, we pray that you be making the hearts of these children fertile soil, that those gospel seeds will take root in their hearts, and Lord, their lives will forever be changed. I pray you give to all the parents of Gateway much wisdom this week as they keep having conversations about what their kids learn from your word this week, and that we see many of our children turn to faith in Christ, even this week, Lord, through what you're doing. And we thank you for the blessing of corporate worship. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together. We thank you for what you're doing here and all over the world as you show your glory and make yourself known. And Lord, as Jeff Hand comes in just a minute to share his story with us and challenge us, I pray you give us tender hearts to be reminded once again of the gospel and what we need. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Jeff comes, Mr. CJ is going to be taking the kids to kids of worship. First to fourth grade, you're dismissed with Pastor CJ this morning for kids of worship. Thanks again for singing for us. Jeff has already dried off from the baptism tank. And back up here, if you don't know Jeff Hand, Jeff is the director of Fisher's Farm. You've been hearing us reference this. We pray for Fisher's Farms and the services regularly. You've seen several of the Fisher Farm guys baptized. But I've asked him this morning to come. I want him to share a little bit of his story with you. You get to hear the stories of the guys who get baptized. But when people come to Gateway, one of the things I love about my job is that I get to hear people's stories. And when Jeff and I went to our first lunch and he shared with me his story of God's grace, it just... It blew me away at the Lord's faithfulness and how the Lord pursued him. And I've been wanting you to hear about that because, again, you hear about Fisher's Farm a lot. So I want you to get a chance to hear from him of his story of God's grace and to challenge you with that as we think about how the gospel changes our life. So, Jeff, we're excited you're here this morning, and thank you for challenging us today. couldn't work hard enough. We know that our works are filthy rags. So Lord, we're thankful for that, Lord, because it doesn't rest on us. Your love is not conditional. Your love doesn't change depending on how bad we mess up today or how bad we mess up tomorrow or next week. Your love is consistent and steady, and we are thankful for that. It is a rock we can cling to. So Father God, I just pray for our time together that you would move me out of the way, Lord, because it's not about me. It's about you. It's about glorifying your name. It's about lifting Christ high. So, Father God, I pray that you would be magnified in my life, in my story's life, and uh, in my brothers and sisters uh, in this room. So, Lord, uh, use this time for your glory and your glory alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so um, I am Jeff Hand, as Grady said. Uh, I am the 
director of Fisher's Farm. Uh, it's a ministry here in Montgomery that helps guys that struggle uh, mainly with drugs and alcohol, but sometimes other things. Uh, I'm married to Jennifer, uh, my beautiful wife. We've been married for uh, 21 years, and um, the Lord has uh, moved in our marriage in, in mighty ways, uh, as you will soon hear. Um, and then I have uh, five daughters. Um, uh, I have one grandson and another grandson on the way, so uh, five beautiful daughters. So I'm thankful for the Lord uh, blessing me in that way. So a couple of them, are, a few of them are here today. Um, and yeah, so we've been in uh, full-time ministry for the last 10 years. Uh, most of that time was spent in the inner city of Montgomery, so um, on the west side, um, and we lived over there for a little while, and uh, I was a pastor of um, one of the pastors at the church for about six years, so uh, most of um, our ministry experiences uh, in the hood, um, and uh, the Lord's been gracious, and it, it was a fruitful time, so I'm thankful for it, um, and through that, the Lord kind of birthed Fisher's Farm, so like I said, Fisher's Farm is a is a, a ministry that helps guys that struggle with drugs and alcohol, mainly, uh, we like to call it life-dominating sin, so any sin that uh, dominates or controls your life. Uh, those are the kind of sins uh, that um, the guys that come to Fisher's Farm struggle with. Um, it's a year-long program, so the guys commit to pretty much giving up a year of their life. And um, one thing that I, I just, I'm amazed by um, the men at Fisher's Farm many times for just how uh, they take their sins so seriously that they're willing to cut off literally everything in their life to follow the Lord and learn what it looks like to kill their sin. So um, I get to see that on a daily basis, and um, it's a joy. It's hard work, but it's a joy. Um, so they're, you know, they, they're not allowed cell phones or internet or, you know, they're told when to wake up, uh, what to do throughout the day. They, uh, a lot of times it's like drinking through a fire hydrant. Uh, we give them so much to do. Uh, for some of them, some of them say it's not enough, but uh, for most of them, it's like drinking through a fire hydrant. Uh, so, and it's good because it's all uh, biblically based. So they're learning about the Lord. They're learning what it looks like to submit their lives to him and uh, the Lord. Um, it's funny to see the Lord. It ain't funny. It's good to see the Lord just take a guy that just has no hope. Like he doesn't think he can change. He doesn't think he can even comprehend the things that we're teaching and the Lord just gradually changes them and I tell them just to trust the Lord trust that through his word he's going to work on your heart he's going to apply it to your heart and he's going to change you he promises that so we can hold on to that truth um so yeah that's kind of what we call phase one and then we have what's called phase two that so that's when guys graduate the year-long program and then they may not have a good family structure just a good environment to go uh, back to we wanted to create a space for guys that just they didn't have anywhere good to go back to. Uh, either it was back where they were, which isn't good. So we uh, started what's called phase two and it kind of looks similar to a halfway house uh, in its model. So uh, the guys you know, are asked if we ask them for a random drug test, they have to get a job, uh, they have to be plugged into a healthy church and just things like that. Um, so who do we take? We, uh, because addiction is not a respecter of persons, we take guys from all over the country. Um, we take guys from all socioeconomic 
uh, levels. We take, um, we, t we, we had a guy that uh, got two master's degrees from the master's seminary and was working on a doctorate at UCLA. And then we have a guy that's been homeless for 30 or 40 years. So everything in between. Um, and it's kind of cool to see those guys from all these different backgrounds learn to live and do life together. And uh, like we talk about, it rubs, it rubs us the wrong way and sparks fly and God uses it in our progressive sanctification. Um, so yeah, the, the model we use is biblical counseling, which is basically, in a nutshell, discipleship. So it, it's taking guys through the word of God and showing them what it looks like to apply the word of God to their lives so that they can walk it out. And we believe scripture is sufficient. It contains everything we need uh, for life and godliness. So that's uh, kind of the model we use. <clears throat> and it, again, it's awesome to see. It's awesome to see guys come in just with no hope, thinking that, you know, this isn't going to work like everything else hadn't worked in the past. And God just slowly changing them through his word. Because we believe as Christians, God's word has power. We do. That's what we believe. Um, so, so just some whys. Why, why do we do what we do? Why, why addiction? Um, and one part of that is kind of my background. The other part is just, it's, it's, in our country, it's an epidemic, and it doesn't get talked about a lot. And a few months ago, I read an article that just hit me in the face for several different reasons. Um, and it's something the CDC put out. So the CDC uh, in December of 2021 said it's been almost two years since the start of the pandemic. And there's something other than COVID, car accidents, and suicides that's killing people 18 to 40. And they said that it's drug overdoses, uh, specifically fentanyl. And um, this, when I read the article, faces just started, you know, popping in my mind um, because just the nature of what we do. Faces of guys that um, have came through our program and they have done well and they're not shooting up dope or they're not going down that road anymore. They're following Christ. Um, but then also the sad stories. Um, and one specifically I can think of is a guy named Brad that came through our program and he was just I mean, honestly, he was a mess. He was shooting up heroin, and um, he showed up to the orientation after I told him he could come, and he brought his wife and his daughter, which is a little strange, but I just let it ride. And um, he talked a lot, which was a little scary because I didn't know what he was going to say. Um, and in that meeting, he uh, looked at me and said that if this doesn't work, I'm going to be dead. And I hear that a lot. I don't hear that a lot with your eight-year-old daughter sitting in the chair. So when he said that, I immediately looked at uh, Bailey, and her eyes just filled with tears. And, um, you know, it just it, it hit me, and I still see it. Every time I read this article or think about drug overdoses, I think about her, and I think about that's her dad. Um, he came through He. He, he started the program, and then two weeks later, he walked off, and he uh, went right back to the side of town that he got heroin on, and um, sadly to say, two weeks after that, he overdosed on heroin and died, and, you know, so I just think about the heartbreak 
that addiction causes. And I know you guys know because we all have it in some way, some shape, some form in our family. So it, it creates chaos and a lot of times like a general, a, a generational cycle. Um, so it's awesome when we take guys and we break that cycle. When they say my dad was a drug addict or alcoholic, my granddad, my great granddad, my, and we take that and we break it and we trust that now you're gonna be a follower of Christ and your son's gonna be a follower of Christ and your daughters and your granddaughters and your grandsons. So we trust that because God does that. Uh, we know that the promise we have from scripture is, you know, it's for us and our children and our children's children. So maybe not as much as the Presbyterians believe it, but we, <laughs> we trust it. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Yeah, so then the other reason, that article, uh, the epidemic in our nation, and then me personally. So I'm, um, I'm from a family where uh, pretty much as early as I can remember, uh, addiction and drugs, they were just around. Um, I don't remember a time in my childhood when, you know, addiction, my, my parents weren't high on this or that or... Um, you know, just whatever. It, it was just common to me. It was, it was used out in the open, no matter what it was, and it was, it was normal. Um, so, um, yeah, I was born here in Montgomery. Um, both my mom and my dad were uh, on drugs and alcohol. Uh, they were teenagers. Um, so my dad got my mom pregnant. Uh, had, they had me, got my mom pregnant again, and then left. Um, and, you know, just to say, I don't blame them because I understand that God in his sovereignty is, works all things together for our good. Even some of the things that happened before we were Christian, he's, he's shaping us in different ways. So now I understand it to be he was shaping me for something. So, um, yeah, it, it was brokenness. So uh, my mom, she just didn't do a good job taking care of us. Uh, for several reasons, and we ended up getting taken away and put into foster care. And when we were in foster care for about a year, a little over a year, and my mom met a man who would become my stepdad, and uh, he helped stabilize her to some extent, uh, but he was um, a drug addict as well. Uh, he was someone that was in and out of prison, um, but he did, you know, kind of help keep my mom centered on something somehow. And um, so we get out of foster care and we move in back in with my mom and uh, my stepdad. And um, yeah, he, he becomes my dad. So um, he, he teaches me what it looks like to be a man as, uh, as messed up as it is. He still taught me some good things. And um, he, he was in and out of prison, so when he was in prison, things were usually rough because he was kind of the anchor as much as he could be that, that helped keep my mom anchored in something. Um, so when he was gone, locked up for a year or two years, it was typically chaos. So she, we never had a, a place to live. We would usually live from motel to motel um, or in our car or if we had a car, or in the Salvation Army, or in a storage building, or just wherever we, we could stay. Probably moving when he was in prison every 
months, two months, three months, just depending on whatever situation he was in. When he was uh, out of prison, um, we typically lived in like the lower income parts of our city when we lived in Montgomery. So we moved about every six months when he was out of prison just because, you know, when you're doing drugs, your, your habit for drugs takes precedence over everything. That includes rent. So, you know, when, when we got kicked out of the house, we had to move somewhere else. So that would typically be parts of the west side and the north side, so the Chisholm area or areas that I grew up in. Um, Yeah, so kind of fast forward a little bit. When I was 13 years old, we lived in Chisholm uh, on Garden Street. And one Saturday morning, we woke up, um, my sister and I, and we walked in the living room. And my stepdad was dead on the floor. The paramedics were gathered around. And he had overdosed on heroin. Um, and this was about 92. And uh, heroin wasn't that big of a thing here. but. Um, back then um, as it is now but yeah he overdosed and died and as a 13 year old boy a lot of emotions were going through my mind and my heart and you know I, I was just like maybe this will be the wake-up call maybe this will wake her up and you know she'll get her stuff together and things will change and um, and needless to say they didn't um, so kind of my exposure to Christianity uh, was I lived in low-income neighborhoods, so people come in and they tell you about Jesus, and they tell you about how much Jesus loves you. And as a, as a little kid, I can remember thinking that if Jesus loves me so much, then why does my life look like this? Why well, don't I have any food to eat? Why do we move all the time? Why are my parents drug addicts? And you know, I can remember as a little kid sometimes crying myself to sleep thinking, you know, why, like, why, why change things? If there's a God, change things. So little by little, my heart was growing harder to even the thought or the thought of a belief in God. And by 13, it, it was pretty much, I was an atheist. Like, I didn't believe God existed. I thought it was the most absurd thing to believe that there was a God, and especially that there's a God that loves you and cares for you, um, just based on what my life looked like. I just couldn't logically wrap my mind around how there's a God that's like the Christians are saying that, that is, is here. And so 13 years old, I, you know, my mom pretty much, she, she got hooked on crack cocaine, and um, she was gone all the time. So by this time, it's my sister and my little brother and myself. So, you know, I'm in the house trying to take care. Of, she would leave with no food. I'm trying to figure out how to take care of uh, them to some extent while still just being a 13-year-old that lives in not a good place. And I was doing what all the other kids were doing, which was not good. So I got, at 13 years old, I got involved in uh, uh, gangs. Um, I got involved in uh, drinking and having sex and um, stealing cars and just you name it, I was doing it. I ran around in the streets literally all day and didn't have any parental, you know, supervision. So I didn't think anything was wrong with it. If I saw something I wanted, I took it. Um, and that's how I just continued to live my life. School, um, you know, our life was so 
chaotic like school. It just, it didn't matter to me. Um, so I didn't pay attention. I figured I would take a different route. I'd find something else to do. And so um, by 11th grade, I dropped out of school. Um, I was arrested for the first time at 13 for stealing car stereos. And then I was arrested the last time uh, I was I had been arrested at 19 for drug charges and I remember uh, being you know arrested and um, the way it kind of works is if you have it bagged up in multiple bags they can charge you with intent to sell and that scared me because I had been to you know jails one thing but prisons another thing so I'd been to prison visiting my stepdad when he would go to prison and I knew prison wasn't somewhere I wanted to be. Um, I'm not a very big guy, so I wouldn't do well in prison. My stepdad, he was like Chris, so <laughs> do a little better. <clears throat> yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, I calmed down a little bit, but honestly not that much. I continued to use drugs, uh, continued to, uh, you know, sleep with my girlfriends and uh, at 19 I met my wife and uh, not long after we started dating she got pregnant and uh, I thought what in the world am I going to do and I and when that happened I remember thinking back to my childhood and thinking I remember when I was a kid growing up thinking when I grow up there's something wrong with the way my family is and I don't want to be like this and I remember um, thinking in that moment I look exactly like my mom and my dad I'm going down the exact same path you know what am I gonna do um, and I knew one thing like you know I don't want to be like my dad who disappeared and you know would pop in and out of my life and you know just all the kind of trauma that that would bring from wanting your dad in your life and him you know being so distant and um, so, so I was like, I'm going to just pull myself up from my bootstraps and we're going to try to figure this out. And to be honest, uh, it was, it was hard. It was, it was really hard. It, um, I didn't know what it looked like to be a, a man. I didn't know what it looked like to be a husband. I didn't know what it looked like to be a father. So I was, I was messing it up. Every, every time I turned around, I was messing something up. I don't, didn't know how to treat a woman. And, um, you know, I, I just didn't know what I was doing. And um, by God's grace, he persevered us not believing in him through that. And, um, and my daughter, my, my first daughter was born. Um, her name's Faith. And... Um, ironically and uh and i remember in the hospital holding her and it was the first time since i was probably 13 12 that i remember i i even considered there could be a god um because i was just like this is amazing uh but then honestly i went i left and got back in the car and got high and went on my way um and yeah, so we just continued to live in this turmoil and um, I wanted to do something with my life um, and I knew I was decent in construction. So we, um, when I dropped out of high school, I went into construction. And so 
Um, about, I was about 20, 21. Uh, I started my own construction company with my brother and uh, my wife, she bought into a franchise uh, called Curves for Women. And uh, when she bought into the franchise, there was a lady, she's probably in here somewhere, Martha Givens. She, she started like sharing the gospel with Jennifer and inviting her to church. So that created conflict because I do not, I'm, I'm literally hostile to God. So if God gets brought up, it, it's usually ending in an argument. Um, so, you know, I pretty much told her, I was like, you can go to church, but don't expect me to go to church. I just don't believe it. Like, I, you know, for me, it was like believing in the Easter bunny. I just couldn't, like, assent to that. And um, I knew it was going to take God to move. So, um, yeah, she started going to church, and she started changing, and the Lord was working on her. And I'm like, man, they are, I, I literally had this thought, they are brainwashing her at this church. <laughs> like, she's literally, like, going crazy. She's nice and, you know. <laughs> I didn't deserve to be nice to, so, you know, it's not saying that she was, um, yeah, anything with her. But, yeah, so she starts going to church, and she starts changing, and she, I remember she would say, things that sounded just absolutely crazy to me and, and I got jealous one time she we were sitting somewhere and she was I heard her telling somebody that she loved Jesus more than she loved me and I was like that sounded like absolutely crazy so you know it it but I think the Lord was using it little by little to just rub some of the hardness off of my heart and um, so Christians started coming around because of that, you know, I'm sure she was probably telling them to pray for me and, you know, tell me about Jesus. And so Martha and, and Bill would come around and, uh, I would just, I, I would watch Bill's life and I'm like, man, that first, so at first I thought Christians, they were just all fake and, you know, they're just putting on a smile because they wanted, they had some angle, like in my mind, like on the streets, when you're nice, you have an angle. You need, you need something, so that's why you're acting the way you act. So, uh, but little, but come to find out, like, um, as I got to know some of the Christians uh, that the Lord kept putting in my life, like, they were genuine, and they loved the Lord, and I just watched their lives, even though they didn't know I was watching their lives, and I saw how they loved their wife, and I saw how they parented their kids, and it made me jealous, because I, I wanted that. Like, I wanted to not be a scumbag like I was. And by this time, you know, I'm trying to put myself together. So by this time, we live in a half a million dollar house and, you know, I have a BMW and, you know, we're, we got plenty of money. We're making tons of money. And, uh, but I, I wanted that. Like, I don't want to be empty. And I noticed I, everything, every time I would buy something or cling to something, it would be, I'd be happy for a little while, but I would always be empty a little, you know, after a while, after a month or after two months. With every new car, with every new toy, every new vacation, I was always left empty. And so the Lord, uh, I think, was using that in my life, just all these men of God. And so I came to a point where I was like, look, I don't, I, one thing that scared me to death is I didn't want my kids to grow up like I grew up. And I, I had a fear that somehow they were going to fall in this rut, even though 
I, technically I was kind of nowhere near that rut of some of the things that I was in, but it still was a fear to me. So I was like, maybe I'll just go to church and ignore everything they say about God and just apply the principles to my life. And uh, so I did that. Um, I, so at the time she was going to a little Baptist church out in Pike Road and I was like, I'm not going to a little church. We'll find somewhere else to go. So we did and uh, I tried to do that. I tried to ignore every, I hated the music. I ignored everything about God and just tried to apply the principles, how to be a better husband, how to be a better man. And the church I was in wasn't the greatest, so it allows you to do that. Um, and uh, yeah, rarely was I confronted with the gospel in my sin. And um, so fast forward 2008, the economy crashes and I'm in, I'm in new residential construction. She's in the fitness industry. She has like four of these gyms by, by this point. And it, re it really like shook me. I always struggled with what is the meaning of life? Like, why am I here? What's, what's my purpose? Because I understood my worldview, the, the worldview I had, there's no reason to be moral. Um, I should just be hedonistic and have as, like, as much pleasure as possible. So the, I, I, I was always confused with why do I, why do I want to be good? Why do I want to look like the Christians when I know I'm going to die and just be laying in the dirt? So I knew there was a problem or a conflict there with the way I thought. And when I took it to its furthest conclusion. And um, so one day I was just distraught thinking about that, the reason and purpose of life. And then I started, I was, I was about 28, so I was getting closer to 30 when you start realizing you don't know as much as you thought you knew. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so I'm sitting on the bed one day, and uh, I asked God, um, I said, God, if you're real, like, show me you're real. Um, let me know. And I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to. If the Christians are right, I'm dying and going to hell. Like, I don't want that. I want to know if you're real, and if you're real, I'll follow you. Um, so I opened up a Bible my wife had bought me, and uh, I opened up to Matthew 6. And in Matthew 6, Jesus is talking about not worrying. And I remember I read that section just about the birds of the air, and, and it just fell on me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, was that God? Was that God speaking to me? And I think it, it, well, I know it did. It started like a chain reaction to want to know, is, is, is the God of the Bible God? And if he is, the implications of that are, my life has to conform to what his word says. And so little by little, like the Lord kept peeling away those layers and showing me, I am God, and this is what it looks like to follow me. So um, he did that. He, he cha radically changed my life, and, you know, I was confronted with that reality. If, if I really believe that this God is real, then I just can't ignore what he says. I can't ignore what the scriptures say about how to live and who he is. So, yeah. I could share, you know, a lot more, but I want to jump into a passage of scripture that I hope will be
helpful for you guys and just our fight. So one of the things we do at, Fis at Fisher's Farm is, is, like I said, biblical counseling. So what biblical counseling is, is you take the scriptures and you apply them to your life. And um, it's something that we should be doing anyway, but I think sometimes we overcomplicate things. So one of probably the, I was trying to think, what is the most helpful passage of scripture in my life that helps me fight temptation? And so I thought of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Um, and the reason like we need to fight temptation and we, we need to do it with God's word is because uh, we're being pressed in on all sides. We have the world that lies to us. We have the devil that whispers lies to us. And we have our flesh that listens to those lies and wants to believe those lies. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13 does... Uh, just an awesome job at helping us fight the struggles and temptations in our life. So I'm going to read it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So one thing I think about and we talk about with the guys are there, there's four uh, lies that we can believe uh, when we're fighting temptation. Um, and in this passage, there are four truths that address those lies. So we know the context is Paul is writing to um, the Corinthian church and uh, he's using a, an example of uh, something that happened in the Old Testament to show them you know, what's going on in their church right now. So in the same way, we're using something Paul was using, you know, to, to fight our sin, giving us an example to live by. So, so these things are written as an example for us, like he says. Um, so we need to understand God's word has power. Like a lot of times when we fall into sin, we feel stuck and we feel like powerless. And honestly, we live as though we're still slaves to sin. We forget God's word gives us power to fight sin, and we're no longer slaves to sin if we're in Christ. So um, the first promise that we see uh, is that no temptation has overtaken us that is not common to man. Like the lie we believe is the things that we go through, the struggles and the uh, sin that we deal with on a daily basis, the lie we believe is that nobody else understands that no one else can uh, empathize with me, no one else can sympathize with me. It's a lie I believe. Like, you heard my story. Sometimes I'm like, I believe the lie that no one understands, like, the struggle that I'm going through. So I have to tell myself that's a lie. Like, no temptation has overtaken me that is not common to man. And that doesn't mean, Paul's not saying that it's not, that it's, that it's not, something big he's not saying that it's that it's um that it's not hard he's not just you know no temptation and overtaking you is not common to man we know it we know we face things and go through things that are extremely difficult um and another thing is it covers all of them no temptation not one temptation we face is is uncommon to man so again, don't, don't hear me say that it's no big deal because we know 
that there are things that we face that are just, they feel like they're going to crush us at times. And the reality is we can trust God. We can trust his word. We can go to our brothers and sisters and they can counsel us and tell us the truth because that's what we need. We can tell ourselves the truth when we start believing the lies. So, so it gives us hope to persevere when we hear that, that the things we go through are common to humanity. We can persevere through those trials and understand that our God works in those hard spaces. He moves in those hard spaces. So the second lie we believe is, is that God is not faithful, that God's not here, that God's not with me in this struggle. So when I come to this verse, the second truth I believe is that God is faithful. He's faithful. You can trust him. Like just, just repeat it to yourself over and over and over. God is faithful. He's not left you on your own. And that's the lie we believe. God is for you in your deepest and darkest moments. He's faithful. He's with you. So the third lie. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So the third lie we believe is that it's too much. It's too heavy. The sin that I'm going through is going to crush me. There's no way out. So the truth we can believe is God's not going to allow us to be tempted beyond our ability. He's just not going to do it. it. Though it may feel like it's going to crush us, though it may feel like it, it's going to cause us to run away, it's not. It's not. So the fourth lie is that you're stuck. That you're stuck. There's no way out. And the truth we believe is, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may endure it. So there is a way out of it. There is an escape. He always, he always provides a way out. We can trust that. We can trust that he's going to allow us to, to get through this. So, so trust Christ, church. Trust Christ. Trust his word. His word is true. His word is faithful. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this day and your word. Lord, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're faithful. We thank you that you give us your word to help us. So Lord, we just pray that you would help us to learn to apply your word to our hearts Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in the light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all stand with us as we get ready to sing.
Father, we're grateful for the many reminders today and what we've heard, what we've sung, that you are our only hope. And Lord, I pray this week that you would remind us that, Lord, you have people all around us who need to be pointed to you. Father, we are so thankful for the people who pointed Chris and Conrad and Jeff and Jennifer to you and how you took those gospel seeds and brought it to fruition and growth in their life to where we see the transformation of your grace in our life. But thank you for those people who planted and watered those seeds. But I pray this week for me and for all these precious brothers and sisters that you'd open our eyes to the people around us, that you're calling us to share the gospel, that you're calling us to be praying for and encouraging and pursuing and going after because they need you as well. So help us not miss the opportunities you give us each and every day. 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church family, and have a great week ahead.